We'll turn to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 9. You know, uh, offertory is a, lot, is a very good time to, if you know the song, uh, to just to think of some of the words as you look through it, but to meditate and ask God to prepare your heart for the message. And so it's uh, a good part of the worship service. That's one reason we pause, to let people have a, where there's no talk, where we just ask God to open our hearts and our minds. Deuteronomy chapter 9 now. We, want, we see that God issues warnings, and these warnings seem to be redundant. But Moses is a master teacher, just like the Lord was. And what happens is, uh, what did they say is the aid to learning or the key to learning? Repetition. And a good teacher will take something and say it, and then turn it around and say it another way, and then turn it around and apply it another way, and it just keeps going with the same truth. We see the Lord did that all through the Sermon on the Mount and other parables. But we see now that Moses keeps telling people to love the Lord, to fear him, because God loves you. And if you'll do it, it'll be well with you. If you don't, it's going to cause problems. When you go into the land where you haven't, uh, uh, you haven't built anything and you're going to live in houses that you didn't uh, build, you're going to have fields that you didn't plant, you're going to have all that. And uh, don't forget the Lord. And so we see that uh, back in chapter 8, he says in verse uh, 11, beware. And then we're going to see in chapter 9, he says, remember. The same type of thing, isn't it? Remember? <laughs> Beware. But now in verse chapter 9, he kind of changes a little, some things a bit because he's going to talk. Uh, he's going to tell them, hey, listen, this wasn't something you did. Notice in verse 9, hear, O Israel, or chapter 9, verse 1. Hear, O Israel, uh, you are to cross over the Jordan today and go into to dispossess the nations greater and mightier than yourself. Cities great and fortified up to heaven. A people great and tall and descendants of the Anakim, who you know, and of course that was uh, the giants, and of the, of the huts you've heard. Uh, who can stand uh, before your descendants? Therefore understand today that the Lord your God is he who goes over before you as a consuming fire. He will destroy them and bring them down before you, so you shall drive them out and destroy them quickly, as the Lord said to you. Do not think in your heart after the Lord your God has cast them out before you, saying, Because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me into possession of this land. But it is because of the wickedness of these nations that God is driving them out from before you. It is not because of your righteousness or the righteousness or the uprightness of your heart that you go and to possess the land, but because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God drives them out from before you that he might fulfill the word which he which uh, the Lord swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Therefore, understand that the Lord your God is not going or not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stiff-necked people. Notice he says, you haven't done anything, and when you get into the land, don't, don't uh, say we pulled ourselves up by our, books, uh, by our bootstraps. But this was a promise that God gave all the way back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Whenever, remember what he said? All, he said that uh, 
Uh, he said, the sins of the Canaanites are not yet full. That was a half a millennia before. So here we have just about, uh, about uh, 500 years later that the sins of the Canaanites. Now, who were the Canaanites? The Canaanites were the people that God cursed from the, from the, uh, the, the family of Ham. Remember, it was Ham, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And God cursed the Canaanites because of the sin of Ham. But uh, Canaan really was the one who personified that, can, that, uh, that sin more than any other. And so you hear about the cursed race or whatever. Well, the cursed race were the Canaanites. And so we see that God was going to deal with them. And, of course, they didn't drive them out. But uh, God had a way of uh, them, extinguishing them as a race um, throughout history. But this is the problem. He said, it's not your righteousness, but I told Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that one day I was going to drive them out, not because of how good you are, but because of how wicked they are. But then as a result, you are a stiff-necked people. And as we see that he's going to go on, he says, I can drive you out too. And so he warns them. He says, if you don't do what I tell you to, ultimately you're going to spread, be spread all over the world. And I, I uh, but with my promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, as we know, as we see a, progressive, a progression of prophecy in history or in uh, the Bible, we see that, uh, uh, that God has promised them that he's going to put, bring them back. And we, saw, we, seen that, we have seen that happen within, uh, our, within, the, within the last hundred years. And so, again, we see that uh, God now, as, a resu- uh, as opposed to the Canaanites, they were wiped out. You don't know who they are anymore. The Jew, God promised they were his eternal possession. And guess what? We'll even know them in eternity. And so there will be uh, that distinguishing. So we see that he says, don't think that you've done it. This is all in the plan of God. Don't ever think that simply because you, uh, uh, got a, you acquired a few possessions that, uh, that you did it all by yourself. I think of um, if you need a job. Well, it's just, uh, if you need a job, well, there's got to be somebody who needs a product. And then you're going to have somebody who sees the need of that product and makes and uh, tries to start a business. And then you're going to have sales folks and you all kinds of other things. And all, then you come along and that, there's all there's a hundred different parts or a thousand different parts that have to come together for you to have a job. Is that not true? I mean, I think of we're talking about car sales. I mean, there's got to be somebody out there. I'm praying for 10 people that need a car this coming week. Wouldn't that be good? I mean, but that's something that God does. And it means that the, the, the economy doesn't break tomorrow. You know, there's not going to be a Black Tuesday, you know, or whatever they call them, you know, whenever the economy crashes. That means that uh, there's got to be somebody with a little bit of money and a little bit of sense to go to a nice person to buy a car and all that kind of stuff. But, the, the, but that's all in God's hand, isn't it? And so we see that God, when we ask God to do something, many times he can't answer immediately because he's got to work, well, he, he knows how to work it out, but at the same time, he already knows before we ask him what we need. But sometimes, as we see even with uh, Daniel, he was praying for a long time, and then good old uh, Michael shows up and says, you know, I would have been here two weeks ago, but uh, the Lord sent me to fight you know, the prince of the king of Persia. And so I couldn't come over here. I, I put you on my list, uh, Daniel. 
And so we see that uh, many times God is working in other areas before he comes around to work with us. But he has to work in those other areas in order to provide for us. And so, like the universe is so wonderfully made, but then there's not a star that bangs into another. Uh, it's well organized because we have a well, a God who plans well, do we not? And so we see that all things were together for good to them that love the Lord, to them that are called according to his purpose. And so don't think that you've done it all by yourself. Whatever God's given you, there's been a whole mechanism for you to get. And so we see that uh, he says, don't think that you've done it. Remember, notice in verse, uh, in verse 7. Remember, do not forget how you provoked the Lord. Hey, listen, uh, this is by God's grace. It's not because you've been such a good people that I'm going to say, oh, boy, these people have been so good. I'm just going to give them this land. No, you provoked the Lord, your God, in the wilderness. Um, and all the, he goes through, and he, and he again, we see that he, he goes through a lot of the experiences that their fathers had had. Remember, this is a younger generation. Notice in verse 12, Then the Lord said to me, Arise and go quickly from there, for your people uh, whom you brought out of Egypt have acted corruptly and quickly turned aside. And so he, he goes, he starts recounting uh, a lot of the failures. Verse 13, Furthermore, the Lord spoke to me, saying, I have seen this people, and indeed they are stiff-necked people. Notice he, he, he said it before, he says it again. Notice he just keeps uh, weaving those th- themes throughout his teaching. You say, well, boy, he sure, uh, he sure uh, repeats himself a lot. Yes, but he does it so masterfully. He just weaves it up. The, the, after a while, you get the point, don't you? I mean, uh, it, it comes and goes, but that's a good storyteller. That's a good, um, that's a good uh, speech is when you have a theme and you keep hitting on the points. It's like a, a, good, or, a good orchestra piece. Uh, you keep hearing that theme. I love the... Uh, the um, uh, 1812 Overture by Tchaikovsky. And you keep hearing that theme and then it'll go away and then it'll come back and then all of a sudden you hear the cannon and the boy, it really hits strong and all that. But you hear that theme if you're watching all the way through uh, up to that point. And actually it's the French National Anthem. Da, 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 da. No, no, excuse me, that's the... Um, you have the Russian Anthem and the uh, French Anthem both in there. And so... Uh, it's kind of interesting to see how that he plays those themes in and out. I like uh, another one is Appalachian Spring, where uh, uh, Aaron Copeland uh, plays a certain theme all the way up through, and then he really hits a crescendo. Well, that's good in speech also. And so we see that uh, in verse 15, he says, So I turned and came down from the mountain, talking about the Ten Commandments and so forth, uh, Sinai, uh, burned with fire and with the two tablets and covenant. And guess what? Uh, and I looked, and behold, you had sinned against the Lord your God and made a golden calf. Notice the exclamation part, Mark. He says in verse 17, Then I took the two tablets and threw them uh, down out of my hands and broke them before your eyes. And I fell down before the Lord uh, as at the first. Forty days and forty nights I neither ate bread nor drank water because I was praying for you turkeys. Is basically what he's saying. He says, I'm begging God not to kill you people. And so he's really uh, pouring it on. Uh, Notice verse 19. 
For I was afraid the anger of the Lord and the hot displeasure which the Lord was angry with you to destroy you. But the Lord listened to me at that time also. And the Lord was very angry with Aaron and would have destroyed him. So I prayed for Aaron also. Well, he's getting personal, isn't he? Hey, that's family people that I had to pray for too. So then I took your sin and the calf which you made and I burned it with fire and crushed it to the ground and very small until it was fine dust and I threw it I threw its dust into the brook and then descended from the mountain and uh, also uh, at Tabernacle, well, that's the next thing, but what did he do after he threw the, uh, the uh, dust into the brook? He gathered the water, that old gold dust from that calf and he said, drink it! And they drank it. That's, that's a powerful leader who can make people drink something. I mean, I mean, that's pretty powerful. But he said, I did that. And now many of you guys were too young to remember it. But uh, I need to remind you because many of you remember your parents going home and talking about it. And it, I want it to be indelible in your mind. What happened to your parents can happen to you or worse. And so don't think you've been such great people and that your parents were such heroes no, uh, the only heroes were those who really followed me and did what we told them to do. Or I told them to do. Verse 25, and so I prostrated myself before the Lord 40 days and 40 nights, and I was kept prostrating myself because the Lord had said to me, he would destroy you. I mean, you were that close to being totally destroyed. Uh, verse 27, remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do not, let, uh, do not look uh, on the stubbornness of this people, or on the wickedness of your sin, lest the land from which you uh, brought us should say, because the Lord was not able to bring them out of the land which he promised them, and because he hated them, he has brought them out to kill them in the wilderness. Now you said that over and over again, but uh, don't, let, uh, don't lose your testimony to a nation, to the nations where you have had such a great blessing because of me. And that's the one thing God says, he's turned us from death to life, but let's don't let the world see that, or be, let's don't be ashamed because of what the world knows about us and our failures, that we failed our God. And he says, don't let the nations think, I mean, if I destroy you, and then one of the only reasons I'm not destroying you is because I don't want the other nations to see that, you know, you failed or that actually that they think that I failed you. And so that's one reason you're not being destroyed. But the other is because of my grace and because of my prayer, because of Moses' prayer. And notice he says, uh, the last verse there, Let the, uh, yet they are your people and your inheritance whom you brought out of the land with your mighty power and with your outstretched arm. That's a theme that Isaiah takes. And you will see his outstretched hand, his outstretched arm several times about the power of the Lord and his grace reaching down to man. Now in chapter 10, and at that time the Lord said to me, uh, who down the, the two, uh, and he made the new tablets and so forth uh, there. And so he goes through the history of this um, and what God had done on the mountain. Notice in verse 6, now the children of Israel journeyed from the wells of ben Jachim to uh, Maserah, and Aaron died, and when he was buried, and Eliezer, his son, ministered. So he, remember all that? Now, you guys were old enough to remember that because that was just a few months ago. 
So notice the progression. I'm going back through some of the things that God has done. And you know one of the reasons Aaron died is because of that golden calf as well as uh, he was, you know, and uh, you're going to know, and you've already figured this out. I've already told you why I'm not going into the land myself. In verse 9, therefore Levi has no portion uh, in the inheritance with his people. In other words, he is, uh, he's going to be the priestly trade. And in verse 10, as at the first time, I stayed in the mountain 40 days and 40 nights, and the Lord heard me at that time, and the Lord chose not to destroy you. So he, there was the second time he was about ready to destroy you. And then verse uh, 12, uh, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? Oh, now, what does he require? Oh, a big list, right? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all of his ways, and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Have we seen that before? We saw that was a theme that was established back in chapter 6 through 8. And he says, um, why? Because, he says, and to keep his commandments of the Lord, your, which I command you today, for your good. Folks, God counsels by his commands. Is it good to follow the Ten Commandments? Is it? Is it good not to be a liar? Is it good not to be a killer? Is it good not to be an adulterer? Is it, I mean, will, it, will it solve a lot of your life's problems if you're not that? Does it complicate, your, your, uh, complicate a person's uh, life if they are that? We saw this morning that all liars, in other words, all those who live their lives on the basis of lies, that's just their lifestyle, don't have, they're on their way to hell. The fearful and the believing and all liars shall have their part from the lake, which now doesn't seem, like we said, uh, that doesn't mean that we all have not broken that law. Like I mentioned, uh, whenever uh, you ask me how I'm doing, and I tell you fine and I feel crummy, then I just lied to you. But you know, there again, we're used to you know, saying certain things and we could take it, make it very technical. But at the same time, I don't want to tell you, oh, I just feel horrible. And there are certain people you don't ask how they're doing because they will give you that long list and they will be very honest, you know. But at the same time, um, I'm not, of course, I'm not advocating lying. If you don't feel good, you can just say, you know, having a good day. Well, I don't know, you figure it out. But you know what I'm saying. But uh, there again, it's good for us to follow these commands because it will be well with us. If we will do what God tells us to do, if I don't have, if I just can conquer my pride and my covetousness and not long what you have or want what you have and all that kind of stuff and get jealous and all that, that'll solve a lot of problems, won't it? But where there's bitter envying and strife, there's confusion in every evil work. James tells us that. And so we see that God counsels. He says it's for your good. And again, you'll see that over and over. It's for your good. It's for your good. In verse 15, the Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them as he he chose their descendants after them and you above all peoples as it is this day. Therefore, circumcise the, the foreskin of your heart. In other words, it's not a religious ritual. God wants your heart. My son, give me your heart. Verse 18, he administers justice for the fatherless and to the widow and loves the stranger, uh, giving him food and clothing. Therefore, love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. 
you shall fear the Lord your God and you shall serve him to him and you shall hold fast with, and take oaths and so forth. Verse 22, your fathers went down to Egypt with 70 persons and now the Lord your God has made you as the stars of heaven. Over 2.5 million people. Went from uh, just a, a very few people now to uh, millions of people within a space of 400 years. Actually now, by this time, 500 years. About almost 500 years. Uh, verse, chapter 11. And uh, he says, Therefore you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Keep his the charge, his commandments, his just, judgments. Um, he says, and then notice the personal, personal part here. Know today that I do not speak with your children who have not seen and who have not seen the chastening of your God uh, his greatness and his mighty power and his outstretched arm. There's that term again. Your signs and acts. Uh, I'm not speaking to the kids that have not seen this. I'm talking to you older folks who have seen this as children. Make sure your children remember what you saw and what you learned. And again, over and over again, teach your children these things. They, they didn't see, many of them didn't see Datham and Abiram. And fire coming down from heaven and the earthquake and all that. But they have seen the manna. They've seen the blessings of God. But let them know that God chastens people. And whom, whom the Lord loves, what does he do? He chastens. And so, but you don't want to be chastened like your fathers were. It's kind of interesting. Uh, you know, we want to be proud of our heritage. But um, then again, with the Jew especially... Their heritage has been a lot of rebellion against God. And yet we see how that God mixed that. And David said, I have a goodly heritage. And so they realized they were God's chosen people. And we also see that uh, many of the people, like Simeon. Simeon was probably one of the worst of the, of the forefathers. And yet we see that's one of the most famous, or that's one of the most used names. Simon Peter comes from Simeon. And so uh, there again, they had a pride in their heritage. And so we see in verse, uh, verse 13, and it uh, shall come that if uh, you earnestly obey, now we're in verse, chapter 11 now, uh, my commandments, which I command you today, to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart, um, then I will give the rain from the Lenos, I'll bless your land. He said that before. If you'll do this, you'll have, you're, you're going to have crops, you're going to have orchards, you're going to have rain at the right time. But if you don't, then I'm going to dry it up. Notice in verse 18. Therefore you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and bind them. Again, we see, has he said that before? Over and over again, he just keeps repeating these things that he, these people ought to do, and I think with a little bit more force as he goes along. And verse 22, and if you shall carefully keep all the commandments which the Lord commanded you to do, to love the Lord your God and to walk in all of his ways, to hold fast to him, then the Lord will drive out these nations from before you, which are mightier than you. And he goes on. Verse 26, before I set before you today blessing and a curse, and you'll see this, that's going to be easy to wrap it up in chapters 29 and 30. I've set before you blessing and cursing, life and death, choose life. So he just keeps on preaching this message. And at the very end, he says, this is, I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, if you follow the Lord, 
It's going to be blessing. If you don't, there's going to be curses upon you. After he's going to delineate those persons. But now, the one thing I want to get to, if we have time, and I think we do, uh, in verse 5 of chapter uh, 12, we see uh, that he says, But you shall seek the place where the Lord your God chooses out of all your tribes to put his name for his dwelling place. Now, we know that was the tabernacle, and then later on it's going to be the temple. Now, what, basically what he is saying here. You're going to worship God when and where and how I tell you. Don't think that you can worship God the way you want to. Like I, every once in a while, you'll hear people say, "Worship the Lord of your, you know, worship the Lord uh, as you." Uh, uh, how is it? How is it put? Worship uh, God in your own fashion or whatever. No, you worship God in His fashion, or you don't worship Him at all. I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there today that's called worship services that are nothing more than appeals to the flesh. And if uh, our worship service brings out the lustful instincts of you or doesn't really point us to the Lord Jesus Christ, then we are wrong. And we're not really worshiping the Lord. Galatians, he says, you've gone after another Jesus who's not another Jesus. That's a play on Greek words. Yes, you're going after another Jesus, but he's a, he is not another of the same kind. You're going after apples when, you, when he's oranges. And so he says, you're not worshiping the God of the Bible. And there's a lot of people that name the name of Jesus and do all kinds of things that are not worshiping the, the God that we're worshiping. And notice he says you're going to do it in his place. I think Sometimes we think we could apply that to the church. Oh, I can go up on the mountaintop and worship the Lord. I worship the Lord in my camper. No, the Lord says, not neglecting the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see that day approaching. So we should be more emphatic about uh, church services as we see that day approaching rather than less, should we not? And so he says, you worship him in his place. And of course, he has that special place in Zion at the time. But notice now he says, therefore, take your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes, verse 6, the heave offerings and all these things that uh, he has spent chapters on uh, and vowed offerings and so forth, that you shall, uh, Then he says in verse 8, you shall not do as we, uh, the, as we are doing today, every man doing what is right in his own eyes. Now that is what we're going to see, the very theme of the most saddest book in all the Bible is Judges. And it starts off, there was no king in Israel, and remember the rest of the phrase, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. And that's that's humanism. I'll worship God the way I want to. No, you'll worship God the way he wants. No, it might be a little different than mine. I'm not saying that we have exactly the right you know, order of service and everything. But it, it does have boundaries. And either we worship God the way he wants or we're not worshiping him at all. And so he says this is vitally important. Notice again, he'll say in verse, in verse 11, uh, then there will be a place where your God chooses to make his name abide. So you follow God's choices, not your own. And so we submit ourselves to God. Now, that, that very verse, that every man does what is right in his own eyes, is the very definition of humanism. 
in humanism, of course, has taken over. Uh, it is the religion of the world today, and especially of the United States and our education system, and now we're seeing uh, at all facets of government. But uh, basically, humanism, uh, like the quote that I got, uh, is a system that focuses on humans and their values and capacities and worth. It leaves God totally out. In fact, um, Christopher Hitchens says morality comes from humanism and is stolen by religion for its own purposes. Uh, Hitchens is one of the big philosophers of the age, or, you know, intellectuals, and he's saying that really uh, we are moral and the people who have religion uh, just stole it from us. I mean, stole it from the human nature and so forth. Uh, of course, they're leaving out the, the very... And the basic... Uh, tenet of human and the foundation of, of humanism is evolution. There's no God. So we got to explain how we got here. And everything is natural and natural selection, natural um, development also. Uh, Kurt Vonnegut, uh, another humanist, says being a humanist means trying to behave decent, decently without expectation of rewards or punishment after you are dead. In other words, there's no afterlife. And uh, then I think of uh, another guy named Joss Whedon. says, uh, faith in God means believing absolutely in something with no proof whatsoever. So if you believe God, you're believing in something. Uh, there's no proof. Faith in humanity means believing absolutely in something with a huge amount of proof to the contrary. So if you're a humanist, then boy, we got the proof. It says, uh, we are true believers. In other words, you say, that's our religion. And uh, the Supreme Court has even said uh, humanism is a religion. And it's the one religion that is tolerated and taught in schools. Then he says, um, I like uh, a man named Paul Kurtz says, secular humanism does not have the essential attributes of religion, a belief in a deity, the wish for some sort of afterlife, sacred dogma or text, or, or an absolute moral creed, Instead, it expresses a philosophical and ethical point of view, and it draws upon scientific method in formulating its naturalistic view of nature. In other words, we are the scientists. And how many times do we hear people, I follow the science? Well, you tell me they're following the science with, uh, with what they're doing with this transgender stuff. Tell me they're following science, even with... Uh, you know, we keep hearing, follow the science with vaccines, and now we're finding out that they don't even know what the science is. And yet, this is their religion. And it's all for the, and the one term that you will see time and time again, the common good. And you know who else uses that term, common good? Karl Marx. And so again, we see that uh, humanism and, um, and communism, Marxism, is so closely tied together. We know that evolution, we also know that it uh, attacks the family. Natural, hey, natural selection. Who, uh, you know, uh, families are a result of religion. And the government, I mean, the common good means that we all get together as a community and we need a village to raise our children. You ever heard that before? That's all humanism. And now we're having Wendy, Randy Weingart. She's a, uh, a childless woman. I don't think she's ever been married, but she's the head of the, uh, 
of the American Federation of Teachers, one of the largest te uh, teachers union, and they say, we own your children. We know better for your children than you do. And so we see that humanism is pretty well taken over by natural selection or natural whatever. But what, what is it? It goes back to exactly what, uh, uh, what uh, Moses said. Don't get to the point where every man is doing what is right in his own eyes. There's no, you know, who tell, who, what is right for me might not be right for you. Doesn't that sound good? No judgment. Let's don't judge anybody about anything they do. No, the Bible says there's a right and a wrong. There's a truth and there's error. There is a way of, 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 of uh, holiness and there's a way of debauchery. And so which way do you want to go? And Moses, and so here we see, and I would love to go back deeper in that, but we're not going to get too philosophical on a Sunday night. But uh, we see that this is exactly what Moses is warning, warning the people about. And then we see the very essence of humanism, where every man is doing what is right in his own eyes, almost destroy the nation. And really, some of the worst sins that you'll ever see is in the book of Judges. I mean, just some gross stuff that God's people do. And, it, and over and over again we see, and there's no God, and there, was no pre, there was no king in Israel, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. Why did he say there's no king? Because when people can't control themselves, and this nation was built on self-awareness, self-governance, but when we can't govern ourselves by the word of God, and that's why our founder said we can't do it without the Bible, because then you have to have a dictator. Then you have to have someone to tell you what is right and wrong because you don't know yourself. That's why you have people like Ronald Reagan and others said, the conscience of a nation. If we lose our conscience, we lose our nation. And are we, are we losing our conscience today, the consciousness of God? And so we see that how important it is there, that we realize that there's a God in heaven, and if we're going to follow him, there's going to be blessing. If we neglect him or think that we're doing it on our own or that I'll worship God the way I want to and don't you tell me what to do. I don't care what that Bible says. You're just a bunch of holy rollers. Who, well, wait a minute. Okay. Then you've got the problem. It might not come out immediately. You might even look like you're prospering. But in the end, there's a way that seems right unto man, but the ends thereof are what? The whole ways of death. Isn't it interesting? The humanist uh, their best way, uh, uh, their their answers to everything is death. I mean, if you now, if you really have a trouble in life, let's just go ahead and euthanize you. You know, if you don't want a baby, kill it. You know, if you get too old, kill it. You know, just uh, if you if you uh, uh, if the government uh, now that uh, we have uh, so many people on Earth and we got uh, too much uh, uh, carbon dioxide, then we got to do away with a lot of people on Earth. I mean, yeah, people saying that today. And, of course, there's not too much oxygen. In fact, someone said there's 0.04% oxygen in the world that we can take care of and, uh, or that uh, is caused by human beings, and there's no way to eliminate it. And that's what science says, but, of course, well, I won't get into all that, other than the fact that uh, there's, we're believing a lie with global warming and all the rest because man and his own natural selection has got very selective truth and very selective thoughts. And so it's always a way to death. 
And so Moses is warning them, now listen, now of course these people didn't know they were humanists, but when you go that route, you're a humanist. But in verse 13, take heed to yourself that you do not offer your burnt offerings and so forth. And so we see that uh, worship, worship your Lord, love him with all your heart, and it will be well with you. Do we believe that? Do we really believe that God will give his best to those who give their best to him. And so we see that God, when we'll see these promises and we'll see these warnings, just Moses talking to this younger generation time after time after time. I lay before you blessing and cursing. Every day we make a choice, don't we? Take up your cross daily and follow me. And that's what God wants to see us do. If we're going to die to anything, we die to self but live for God. And so we see that, uh, that this, is the, this is the very essence of life. Just two choices on the shelf, choosing God or choosing self. And oh, that we would choose our Lord Jesus and our God.